Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk, honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com. Everybody, if you want to get your energy back, if you want to sleep better, block out the unhealthy effects of blue light on your mental health, on your physical health, then you need these incredible blue light blocking glasses called Blue Blocks. Other companies have these like mass produced products, but they have no understanding about how light impacts health. And that's one of the things I love about Blue Blocks is how much research they've done and how they are evidence backed. You can get free shipping worldwide and 15% off by going to blueblocks.com slash harmonics or enter code harmonics at checkout. That's blueblocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com slash harmonics for 15% off or just use the code harmonics. Hello, everybody. Sometimes I get so giddy about having people on the show that selfishly I've been a fan of for so many years and can't wait to ask them all the questions that have been brewing in my mind about what makes them the incredible artists that they are. And today's artist is truly the epitome of that word. She is an incredible singer-songwriter. She is a painter and she is a poet. I can't really think of anyone that I'm more inspired by artistically than Courtney Marie Andrews. In this week's final installment of our Americana April series, I get to talk with her because she has just released Old Monarch, an absolutely stunningly beautiful collection of poetry, her very first poetry collection. Courtney is originally from Phoenix and grew up in the Sonoran Desert. The desert is a massive influence on her art and her poetry in Old Monarch. And we talk about the beauty of nature and its influence on her creative process and spirituality. The lovely Courtney began writing songs as a teenager and has been releasing music pretty much ever since, but spent years as a backup singer before branching off to focus on her own music as an artist. And her records are just stunningly beautiful. Her latest record, Old Flowers, was written in the aftermath of a long-term relationship and just beautifully captures her journey through heartbreak, loneliness, and finding herself through the pain. It was nominated for a Grammy this year for Best Americana Album. I have also had the pleasure of seeing Courtney live, and 
it's truly like church, y'all. If you get a chance, please not only read Old Monarch, listen to her music, follow her on socials, but see her live. She is magical. And I think you are going to absolutely love this interview. So here you go, Courtney Marie Andrews. I was just telling Courtney that I was like a kid on Christmas and could not wait to talk to you. Don't tell anyone, but I think I might be more excited for your interview than anyone before. Oh my God. I have been a fan of your music for so long. It's you're the only album that I ever like, even with old flowers, I sat and read the liner notes and listened and looked at the lyrics for each song multiple times when I first got the record and stuff. And I just, I don't, make the time to do that very often. And then your beautiful book of poetry, Old Monarch, like exploded my heart. I Mm -hmm. love it so much. So I'm just so grateful you're here. You've definitely been like bucket list for me to talk to on this because I so admire everything you are as an artist. Thank you so much, Beth. That's very sweet. (laughs) Of course. So I guess, first of all, how have you been holding up this year? We ask everyone (laughs) since it's been such a crazy year for our mental health and and just all of our lives being uprooted and crazy. How how have you been doing? I've been riding the waves. Um, I'm so grateful to be a creative during this time and be able to funnel, you know, all of the wavering feelings into something, whether that be a poem or a painting or a song. So I'm very grateful for that and, and for long walks. Um, I don't know what I would do without long walks. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I think just like everybody, you know, just been trying to, uh, just get, get through it and try and live it day by day and, you know, do the best I can (laughs) with, with what we're, what we're in. Question for you on your hikes. Do you listen to anything podcast or are you always in your head? (laughs) I am in my head. It's my, it's my meditation. Walking is, Honestly, a lot of a lot of song ideas, a lot of poem ideas come on long walks. Yeah, and I just sort of ruminate and walk and think about life and that's where all my ideas come. I have to switch to that because I'm I'm obviously a podcast junkie and so I get really excited to listen to like a new podcast of someone I love on a walk, but I do feel like in order to really take in nature and be meditative. I, I I've done it before, but it also scares me to like live in my own head yeah (laughs) so I'm also like I always feel like I need something but that's probably why I should walk (laughs) do you bring like your phone to take notes if you have like a song idea or a a poem idea or do you have a journal so it's your phone's not with you I have a very small moleskin um okay with with a pen that I take a lot just like in a little bag but you know, if, if I don't have that, I will, I will resort to the phone or do a voice memo or, or, and that sort of thing. I've just realized that the active, you know, like a tangible writing source is, it's really, really nice. It, it also keeps you off your phone. I feel like when I pull out my phone to write a note, that is always a breeding ground for to stay on the phone or to get distracted. And, and so if I find that if I just bring kind of like a small notebook, that is easy to carry even in your pocket it's always better when you were younger were long walks like have they always been a part of your life or was there a time when long walks became like was it this pandemic that made you a a long walker or was it lifelong 
you know, what, what actually started my long walks was um, becoming a backup singer. So when I was 19 or 20, I went on, you know, before this, I was kind of busking and playing all around the country and taking Greyhound buses and then somehow stumbled into a backup singing gig. And it was on a big tour bus. And during the days, we'd have all this time in all these cities. And I would just walk for hours before soundcheck. And that's sort of when it started. So my early 20s, really, um, as a way to sort of, you know, have some space on the road, because you're living with a bunch of people on a bus and just, <laughs> you know, to just take in a city as well. Like, it's such a nice way to see a city is by foot. So, so you are... You're a painter, a poet, and a songwriter, and you're amazing at all of them. In your childhood as a little girl, were you, was there one that spoke to you from an early age, or did you grow up in a family of artists that inspired you? Yeah, my mother is a wonderful artist. She's a, just by hobby, she's kind of a, she's into crafts, into painting. She recently is really into painting miniature scenes on vintage spoons. And um, I was kind of raised by a village. So I was raised by a couple of art, artistic type people. My godfather is an art teacher and that was my mother's best friend. And, you know, he was always inspiring me to try different mediums. And then my, you know, my uncle's actually oddly an incarcerated painter and he would send me paintings from prison when I was a kid. And so I was like always surrounded by mostly visual artists. It wasn't really, you know, there wasn't any music really in my family, but as a kid, I was really drawn. You know, I started singing by the time I could talk. It was, I, I heard Annie the orphan and I was like, I'm an orphan, right? Kind of. So yeah, you know, <laughs> I really resonated with her, her story of belonging and um, longing to belong as a young girl. So singing was really the first thing. And then always writing, always writing, but you know, I was always making things with my family. That was more of a, a family task, a family thing to do together is to create crafts or make little ornaments or, you know, do that sort of thing. And you grew up too in the desert, correct? I did. Yes. Which is like such a philosophically vast, there's so much, I feel like uh, spiritual and philosophical meaning, obviously in your book, Old Monarch, I could like feel the snoring desert, like in my bones from your writing but do you ever reflect back about growing up in that environment and do you long to go back like do you make it you have to go back there is there something that fills you up about it because of your childhood there yeah and my, my family still lives there so I I always go back every year you know I I try and spend um at least a month in the Sonoran every year and I I keep going back also because there's this little town in the southeastern corner of Arizona called Bisbee, and it's this really strange town that is pretty much inhabited and squatted by artists in the 60s, and it's still kind of maintained its identity as like this eccentric art town, and it's my um, creative place, and I go there a lot to, actually I was there in all of January, I just spent time painting a mural with some older women who are some of my favorite art heroes and just writing songs. And um, it's my sanctuary. It's my place I go to come back to myself, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, I definitely have to make carve out time to be there every year. 
Do you have a favorite place in the world you've written? Like, is there one place in nature that you would say was your most inspiring or favorite? I've had the great honor and also privilege of being able to write in so many amazing places. And I feel like every place kind of holds a different song and holds a different set of songs and they mark different times in my life in these beautiful ways. Definitely a retreat writer. Like I need to go to a place and write. I have a really hard time writing at home. Um, Just, you know, there's so much to do at home when you're home. And and so I always have to go away, but I've had so many beautiful experiences. Um, My favorite is probably Lisbon, Portugal. Wow. Oh, beautiful. I've seen photos. Portugal's on my bucket list. I've never been, but highly recommend it. It's kind of like the new Berlin, you know, it's, it's kind of like a cheaper city full of art and poets and musicians and Fado. And it's just a really romantic place. And I would just walk the streets for hours in the morning and always come up with a song by the end of it. So, yeah. Is there a process that you always sort of go to for songwriting that's similar or different from writing poetry? Like, is your creative process and painting, I mean, does does it vary between the three or they're sort of like a similar creative process? They're all pretty different. I feel I, I kind of liken poetry to the head and my songwriting to the heart, though they bleed into each other, obviously. But poems always, you know, I before I kind of made the road my college experience, um, I... <laughs> I toyed with the idea of becoming a philosophy major. And I I really thought that that was going to be my path for a minute. And I feel like poems are my way of sort of living out that dream a little bit. Um, and so poems feel very philosophical, very heady, very mysterious, though, of course, you know, the heart is in them as well. Whereas songs feel like this sort of I feel like an emotional archaeologist with songs. It feels like I'm trying to excavate some deep story within, you know, within my being and within my heart and my love and my relationships. So, um, but again, you know, they can be heady as well, but I feel like they're on those spectrums. To me, you seem like someone who obviously through your poetry and your songs addresses the mysteries of life, but in your quest for enlightenment, <laughs> what what do you sort of hold on to or believe in times of fear and pain? Yeah, I, I identify as a, a spiritual person. Um, I've never been part of, a, you know, an organized religion or anything, but I do feel um, connected to the earth. Um, I think I always say like nature is really my church, you know, it's my it's my spiritual place. It's my place to commune with the great mysteries of the world. Um, I think I love to bask in the great mystery of human life. And that brings me a lot of solace. It brings me solace standing next to a redwood tree, you know, and knowing that we're the forest, we're not a tree, we're the forest and just, yeah, energy, you know, I, I feel like I formed in my mind this sort of sacred spirituality that doesn't really apply to any, you know, 
secular religion or anything, but it, it, it works for me. You know, it's, it's, and it, it usually involves a walk in the woods. That I feel the same way that I turn to nature and sort of the knowing that there will be regrowth. There will be there. I also, I'm in the middle of the overstory right now. Have you read that? One of my favorite books that I've read. Okay. It's like blowing my mind. And when you said the redwood tree, there's also been this moment now where I've been stepping outside because we have a lot of huge trees in our, which is crazy for LA, but we're lucky. We live where we have a lot of these beautiful, huge trees. And it's sort of been my like, I'm just going to go out after reading the overstory. I'm like, I'm going to go out and I'm just going to stand and feel the tree grounding me. (laughs) Yes. That is so real. And, you know, the beautiful part about that book is that everything, you know, it's obviously a fiction story, but yeah, every, all the tree facts are real. Right. And yeah. even Patricia Westerford, like the, the fictional character, but there really is the scientist who like discovered how trees communicate and exactly. it's, yeah, it's blowing my mind and also giving me that I the, the pandemic for me has been just this blow up of diving into the mystery and wanting answers but like then having to come to terms with the fact that like I'll never have the answer and I think there is sort of a comfort in a peace and knowing that nobody's solved it whether you're a Buddhist whether you're you know it's a lifelong study and then nature is the one place where it's like shows you that in a way that is sort of an answer yeah I think that's kind of where I've come to terms with my own spirituality is there is beauty in the mystery I think in this world where we're, where there's so much information all the time and there's, you know, everybody's trying to Google an answer all the time to just slow down and not Google the answer and just accept that there's something so beautiful about the mystery, you know, and there's something, there's solace in that. There's solace in that we don't know. And, you know, that leaves, that's so creative to not know to wonder that's such a creative thing and why should we choke the mystery out of it and so yeah I feel like there's there's something to be said that's that's beautifully put to just go out into the into the woods and just kind of accept that have you ever had either creative burnout or you know now that like your passion is also your vocation has there ever been sort of like a compromise you've had to make creatively or a time where you were burnout and not inspired and then what did you do (laughs) to get yourself back on track to that being a a healing part of your life well either I ping from one creative outlet to another so if I just feel like I'm hitting walls with songs that's kind of when I'll go to the to the canvas and just paint and um so that's that's one way another way is to just live life you know, and not get too wrapped up in the producing. How do you do that, Courtney? That's my (laughs) biggest thing is like, if I just try to live life, I'm like, you should be doing something. You should be creating. You should be reaching to be a better artist, you know? And I like cannot. I'm not perfect at it. And I I struggle with that too. I feel like I, I definitely resonate with the guilt sometimes that comes with not producing all the time. But something that I have learned in the pandemic is that we're artists. We are going to create all the time. And if we just need a moment, sometimes I've realized that my best work actually comes when I take two days to go out in the woods with a friend and just turn off and not think about art at all. Yeah. 
almost guaranteed when I come back, I'll create either my best song or poem or painting, almost guaranteed. And so I think in this world that's constantly begging us to produce, 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 make, 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 it's like in, it's an activism to just, mm-hmm. just be still and not do that. Yeah. With your book, did you have the intention of writing a book of poetry or you just, poetry is a practice for you, for your creativity that you did for yourself and then thought, oh, I have all these. I mean, I know I've followed you for a long time, so I know you've shared beautiful poems on your Instagram before, but like, was it a conscious choice to put it all into a book? And did you feel scared or vulnerable? Cause you, you know, it's something different you're putting out or were you like, no, this is this is genius. I'm the next Mary Oliver. No, I'm the next Courtney Marie Andrews. There's no next Mary Oliver. But you know, like, was there, were you nervous? So I've, I've worked on this book for years, but I didn't know it was going to be a book, obviously. And I think that's kind of the way a collection maybe should be made. Um, But yeah, I'd probably been writing these poems for about three or four years. And I think the pandemic was definitely a catalyst. I had so much time in the mornings to finally zone in and actually collect the poems and put them next to each other and see what the story was and carve out sort of the the theme the themes of the book and so yeah I think you know last spring as I was sitting alone in my house I was like it's time you know I've been collecting these for a long time and I'm ready to to sort of really go for making a collection and you know, obviously when you're trying anything new, it's like, oh, I'm not a songwriter anymore. I'm, I'm a poet or am I really a poet? And all that identity crisis when it comes to like, what am I is 100% crossed my mind. But I think I just came to the terms with, I'm an artist. I create and, you know, you're an artist, Beth, like you create in all these mediums, whether it be, you know, acting or music or poetry, like we're artists, you know, there's that's what we do. And we don't have to have these sort of confined boxes. And, and so I, I definitely worked through that. I feel like in the days of influencers and social media, and even though you have this platform to express, it almost feels less craftsmanlike or artistic-like. I mean, I love your social media. <laughs> it gives me so much inspiration, but what's your relationship with that? And, and also how the music business has sort of changed over the years? It's, you know, I think just like everybody else, I, especially artists struggle with my relationship to it. And um, I found that I, I love to share, you know, share what I'm doing, share my poems and my art. But I also need moments of being reclusive. And that's usually my most creative times is when I'm you know, not running my social media. And I definitely do giant hiatuses and am very lucky to have people that are able to kind of run that for me when I take those hiatuses. And obviously that's not the case for everybody, but like I've found that just taking long breaks from it is really helpful for the creative brain. And so, yeah, I've just, you know, I go back and forth, but then I have months where I'm like, I love sharing. I'm going to share a bunch and share my poems and share my art. And there's months where I'm like, I don't want to share anything <laughs> at all. So I just go with the waves. Yeah. 
what being someone who like for you, who's someone who also like your alone time is your most, most creative. What's your relationship with a live audience? Mm. That's so funny. You say that. So I played my first show last night. Oh yes. In Nashville. It, I played a socially distanced show. First one in like a year and two months. Oh wow. Yeah. I guess a year and two months now. And it was wild. Like I feel kind of like emotionally hungover just because I, it was a lot. It was a lot to like experience that into like, honestly, just loading my guitar and onto the stage was so intense. And um, yeah, I thought a lot about that last night. And I think my relationship to the crowd is, is similar to one of an actor in terms of, I do feel like a storyteller. I think there's a little bit of performer in me and, you know, I can do a little dancing and stuff, but I'm, I'm more of the song and less the dance. And I think that um, when I perform, I want to tell the story and I want to tell it in a way that is um, orated, you know, powerfully. And I think I've kind of come to terms with that. So my, my relationship with the audience and one that's not always reciprocal because of the times that we're in is I, I kind of just like to be the storyteller. Were you anxious at all to be back in front of, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to be nervous again. I don't know. I was so nervous all day. And I was like, you know, cause the last time I was played a show, I'd been on the road for months. And so I didn't have any nerves. You know, I was not, when you're nine months in, it's like, you get on stage, you're like, whatever. Yeah. So it was kind of cool to feel nervous again. <laughs> I was actually like, wow, this is a feeling I haven't acted in or haven't lived in, in a while. And that was really kind of beautiful to experience that. But once I got up there, you know, I felt nervous the entire day. Once I got up there, I was just kind of like, ah, <sighs> home. Yeah. I was like, hi guys. It's great to be yeah. in a room with you again. But yeah, today I definitely woke up. I didn't have one ounce of alcohol last night and I feel like hungover. I think it's just, I didn't realize how intense so many, so many energies in a room were. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, but it was, it was beautiful. And so I, I'm so happy to have been able to do that again. It's been a long time coming. Do you have a specific like morning routine? I like asking people this cause I'm always curious, especially with artists. Usually it's a walk or yoga. Yeah. Mm. That's, um, I kind of like to start my day off with some sort of body movement and coffee. I usually like either sage or some incense. I love to listen to Hawaiian slack key guitar in the mornings. Ooh. Yeah. I highly recommend that as your morning you know, listen, soundtrack. Yeah, soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just something calm, something meditative, something sort of a palate cleanser. So your day just starts off calm. So I, I have this amazing research producer, Courtney Locks, and, and she helps me so much with research and stuff and, and just reading articles. There were so many quotes you gave that it makes sense. You wanted to be a philosophy major. So I just, I wrote down three of them and I just want to have you elaborate on them because I thought they were so beautiful, if you don't mind. First one is a heartbreak record holds space for love. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Old Flowers is about. And that actually, 
I'll elaborate on that in in the ter- in terms of poetry actually in actually I, Old Flowers is written kind of based on this philosophy that Jack Gilbert touches on in a poem called Flying Not Failing it's this beautiful poem and at the end he sort of says that love was coming to the end of its triumph and I really resonated with that because love ends, you know, sometimes. And in Western society, we're so quick to just say that it was a failure. And I think that's a flawed way to look at it because love, the fact that it happened at all, and maybe, you know, you grew out of it or, or whatever, is a triumph. And so I think when I said that Heartbreak Records, you know, hold space for love, I think it's so true. Like, though love changes and it's not what you imagined it become, it existed in the first place. So I love that. Yeah. And we grow so much from our deepest wounds, I think, too, just from going back to sort of the meaning of it all. And, you know, whatever you believe, it's like, if you can hold on to the fact that like, the bird's going to eat the fruit and it's going to become a new tree. Even if the tree dies, there's always a triumph. Like, I love that. That I've never read uh, Jack Gilbert, but now that you've said his name, I will check him out. Yeah, he's he's an incredible, incredible poet. I always joke that Mary and Jack are my king and queen of of uh, poetry. So yeah. Mary, I'd say mine are Mary and Wendell Berry, but I now will have to check out Jack. If you like Wendell, you'll love Jack. Similar tips. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Next quote by the lovely Courtney Marie Andrews. Songwriting is the highest form of communication. Mm. I will say that, well, music is its own language and so layered and deep. And music is kind of like the language of the soul. So you have these, you have words in songwriting, um, which are these, you know, simple vocations and ways that we communicate every day but then it's even deeper when you have music behind it because that's something that's so deep and it's a different style of communication so to have both together is just the highest level yeah (laughs) of communication (laughs) agreed that's why this podcast too started with the lens of like why is music so healing? You know, why is creativity the most healing thing? Yeah. So I fully support that answer. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of this next quote kind of is in a similar vein. When you create, you are also giving something life, just like the veggies in a garden. You are presenting the world with a timeless gift, even if you are the only one there to read it. That being the only one there to read it, obviously, after our conversation, you know why that quote stuck with me. But I just love that. Love that. I want to like hang that on my mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I think that's the creating just to create, you know, when we make, you know, soil beds and fill them in with seeds and watch them grow. It's, we're not trying to show it to anybody. We're just, we're just growing some food and it's giving us life. And it's the same thing when you create a poem or a song or a painting and surely you'll feel better afterwards. You know, once you have that homegrown carrot, so. Yeah, 
the garden and with nature and just what you said is such a metaphor for what we've all been through this year. And I feel like it was such, it was a great pandemic project as well. <laughs> Everyone got into Everyone's it. Everyone's like <laughs> making focaccia bread and gardening. <laughs> my husband, my husband, the two pandemic hobbies, the banjo, I had to let go when I went back to work. It was too much. So that, pan- that hobby is gone, but the gardening stuck. And for my husband, sourdough bread baking stuck. Yes, so I feel like we got the best food parts of the pandemic that have still been a part of our of our lives, which is yeah. awesome. Are you a gardener? You seem like you might be. I yes, I I mean, I've unfortunately never really been able to get super good at it just because I'm always on the road. Oh, but, right. But last year, I've had maybe two years in my adult life where I've been able to garden and obviously growing up in Arizona is you know not amazing for gardening so I yeah I didn't really grow up gardening or anything you know we had a rock lawn growing up so um and cacti don't need too much watering so yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah when I lived in Seattle I had a garden one year and then I had a garden last year in pandemic and grew so many tomatoes and don't have the greenest of thumbs but love love doing yard work, love getting my, yeah. you know, hands dirty. And yeah. Speaking of gardening, this kind of go, goes along with it. But so you have your Monarch book club and you called your poetry book, Old Mon- Monarch. Mm-hmm. What's the significance of the monarchs in your life? Well, I started writing this book, actually, it was one of the first poems that came to me. Well, I think actually the first poem that came to me in this collection, funny enough, was was old monarch and I was in a butterfly garden and in Arizona and I was going through a breakup I was going through a lot of transitions in my life I was sort of trying to finally move away from backup singing as much as I adored it I knew that I really wanted to create you know my own songs and kind of forge my own path in in the world and um I was in a butterfly garden and I watched this mini doc in like one of their rec rooms about the monarch's journey and they travel so many miles. I think it's like 3000 miles to transform and give birth and then they die. And I thought that was such a noble process. And I just really resonated with it that they, they travel all this way to give birth to something and to create something. And I felt really, really, I felt like a monarch. And I feel like after that day, I just started seeing them everywhere. Like I would be on a hike and I would notice one and they started to feel like these kind of little blessings in my life where I was just like, they, I felt like they were, you know, whispering, like you're on your path. You know, (laughs) every time I saw one, I was just like, Hey, thank you for coming along. And yeah. And I just, I, I think that I, I just really resonate with the creature. I think it's so cool. You know, the, the transformation of them. I agree. Margo Price and I were just talking last week or the week before she was on the podcast about how much we love monarchs and need to save them. And so milkweed is like on my list, native milkweed for the garden this spring, because I want to just save these beautiful creatures that are, you know, we're hurting they're um I know they're hurting and it's it's actually um so in, in the Sonoran actually in, in Bisbee there is a monarch grounds um Ooh. where they 
typically kind of rest and stop. And it's this huge migration usually in every year they've just been getting small. There's been smaller and smaller amounts. And this past January, when I was there, um, the few painter ladies that I hang out with were just saying that they're barely noticeable. And it used to be that this grounds was covered. Like you'd be surrounded by monarchs and, um, now it's, you have to kind of seek them out and yeah, we do need to save them. We need to, because they're incredible, incredible insects. So, yeah. So we have final questions that we ask everyone. Mm-hmm. So you can only bring three records with you to a deserted Island. What would they be and why? Ooh, that's I a- know <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> that's a hard one. Um, I'm going to be honest though. Uh, in, it's like, it's just, it's the records that shaped me and my ideas of songwriting. And um, they're, they're big records and they're probably in a lot of people's collections, but I would say Joni Mitchell, Blue. Mm. I think that is just, you know, be all end all record. I would say Bob Dylan, Telltale Signs, kind of a strange one, ah. but uh, a not really like a typical record and then I would also say Neil Young Harvest oh that's one of our favorite my husband and I too yeah I forgot about that one Joni Mitchell's Blue is on mine I have so many I can't pick three but those and Neil Young would be on mine I think too because we Harvest Moon was our wedding our first dance um at our wedding song perfect dance song yeah (laughs) what subject do you google the most what subject do I Google the most? Wow. Um, I don't know that I Google a lot of subjects. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a... Uh, You're good at not being online, it sounds like, as much. So maybe you don't Google all the time. Don't Google a lot. I I usually will try and get a book about whatever yeah. subject I'm learning about. Um, so I'd say my, my number one Google subject is, um, I love to read about, let's see. Yeah. I, I'm a philosophy buff. buff, Mm -hmm. So I probably Google a lot about different philosophers and theologies and that sort of thing. Awesome. It's, I cannot do the Kindle thing. Like I have to hold the book. It's probably from childhood. I loved going to Barnes and Noble and like picking a book and all that. But I don't, I don't think I'll ever be able to uh, get on the Kindle train fully. Yeah, I got a Kindle as a gift one time and I tried really hard, but I just, it's the same. Like I really like the texture of the book Holy. in my hands and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's better for traveling for sure when you're on tour, I'm sure. But uh, but Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The, the books in the backpack is always a challenge. Like, ah, oh, what books do I have to choose to go on this tour? <laughs> My husband and I have a tradition. Like we've all, we've gone all over the world for work, just like you have. And we always, our first stop when we get to like a new city is to find a bookstore and get a book. But then you're also then carrying all the books you get like through your travels. But yeah. I like keep books, you know, from the Shakespeare bookstore in Paris. Like we have so many that like, I just like will always remember where we were when we got the book. So then it's like, you can't get rid of it. But what do you do? Like, I got to get more space for books or just do that cool thing that people do where they start stacking them like as decor in there, 
in their houses. Um, That's what I've started doing. There's just like stacks now under tables and stuff. Yep. Oh, am I becoming this lady? That's me. Like in my, in the bedroom, it's like nightstand and on the floor. So I've got a, I do like to like donate to the library if I can like part with them, but some I can't part with as you know, you know? Yeah. If you could stay one age the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Wow. That is, that's a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I like the age I'm at right now. I like 30. I feel very in myself. I feel like, you know, obviously I just arrived at 30, but my twenties were so confusing and um, beautiful and adventurous as well, but just so emotion, so emotional. It's like an emotional roller coaster. And I like thirties cause you start to kind of, you just don't care as much, but you're still young and have vitality and stuff. So maybe thirties, somewhere in my thirties. I'm 35 and I can say the same thing. My twenties were a shit show, but my thirties have been just my favorite years. And I hear all my friends who are in their forties and my husband that the, it, the forties are even better. You just, you know yourself even deeper and there's such a groundedness to your forties too. I feel like, so I'm excited. I really like aging, yeah, which is too. like, not like what an actress normally <laughs> says, but I just feel like every year I get better, like at life. You know? yeah, same. I know. And you just, you start to care more about the important stuff and less about the the small stuff, you know? Totally. Yeah, definitely. Okay, final question. This is called the blank room exercise. So close your eyes, go into a blank room. What are you hearing? Uh, birds. What are you smelling? Strawberries. <laughs> what are you tasting? I'm tasting the savory oats I had for breakfast. Oh, yum. I had oats, too. What are you touching? A handmade quilt. And what are you seeing? The ocean. Oh, that was great. I loved your blank room. I want to be in your blank room. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you feel about this. I just had the idea, but I don't know if your book is close by, but is there a poem or or two that you'd want to share? Yeah. You would? Oh, cool. Yeah, I actually I actually have it right next to me. The, oh my gosh. Yeah. The what's the pink moon one? The sisterhood under that one I love. I've marked so many, but I like your picks. I want you to pick what you read. I'll read that one and then I'll pick one. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Okay. Sisters under the pink moon. Under the pink moon, sisters in arms, chewing dried figs, sprouts, ginger, chocolates. Tiny kisses on bark, tears flowing. Always tears, but not always the sad kind. Mud caked like boots on tomorrow. Below skinny dipping magnolias in the wintertime, setting intentions upon rogue leaves in the campfire. May tonight transform us. Come spring, may we find lily white flowers pure as a newborn. Childhood dreams without training wheels. May we release the ashes as we close chapters. May we bloom, may we prosper. May we embrace the oak of our womanhood. No suitor can hold a candle to a sister's love. Between our squishy thighs rest all our secrets, natural beauty, imperfections, painful truths, feminine magic, loose talk, complexities, understanding, belonging. 
Beside Luna's lust figure, we breathe in a smoky silence as we kindle our uncertainty with a branch. That one like makes me emotional. Oh, so much. <laughs> oh, it's so cool to hear. Like I've, I've never had that where like you hear the poet. I mean, I've watched Mary Oliver, some of hers, but it's so cool. Like that I just finished this book and I get to hear you read your interpretation. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> okay. You pick one. Okay. Um, I'm going to do this poem called resilience. Mm. Even through death and destruction, we always find ways to overcome crossing the bridge to the other side. As if never brushing the damage, we sit in cafes, smashing glasses, forgetting our bad years. Joan of Arc did not bear her prophecy with complacency. Only lazy seers fall to obscurity. In canopies gracing the sky, a magpie seeks shiny gifts from the world, unaware of the vanishing light. We know the bird would not raise a lifetime of living over disappearing silver. She will simply discover another object of desire. Our minds are malleable as a clay our ancestors used to build villages still standing in this century. We are more resilient than we know. I too will live through horrible sorrow and live to tell you in a dimly lit bar laughing. I love that one. I forgot about that one. That one was one of my favorites when I read it too. <gasps> Thank you so much, Courtney. This is so awesome. God, I just love talking to you. You're just a gem of all gems so thank you so much thanks so much for having me on the show i'm so happy to be on it (laughs) i love courtney i just connect with her so deeply thank you so much courtney y'all need to check out everything she does and puts out into this world because her art is so healing and it just gets you in the guts her music her paintings her poetry i just love her If you're new to Courtney Marie Andrews, check out her beautiful song, May Your Kindness Remain. It's sort of my anthem. And I think kindness is something that all of us can do every day to make the world a little bit easier to live in. So thank you so much, Courtney. We love you over here at Harmonix. We would love to do a part two with you because I feel like there were so many questions and questions I missed. I was so into the conversation, I completely forgot to ask Courtney our Dolly trivia question. So Courtney, you got to come back on so we can ask you a Dolly trivia question slash hear all about you singing with her at Newport. All right, everybody, have a great week. Much love. This episode of Harmonics was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs. Our project manager is Shelby Williamson. And it's always made possible by the leadership of executive producer Amy Reitenauer Jacobs, research producer Courtney Locks, and the entire team over at The Bluegrass Situation. I'm Beth Bears. Thanks for listening. Stay vulnerable, y'all.